When the possibility of today's talk first arose, one suggestion was to treat it as a typical talk on am I a, uh, why I am a UU. But that raises a question, am I a UU? Like most of us, I can be a bit picky at times. Indeed, every Sunday, I find myself changing one of the words in our affirmation. The word souls in it raises many superstitious flags for me, and I can't covenant with souls, so I say people instead. So perhaps some of you are thinking, gee, that's not a big deal. My disagreements are much bigger. We don't get to go there today. So how long have I been picky this way? I'm sure it goes way back. So let's take a risk and go way back also. As a help, recall Stephen Jay Gould's phrase, punctuated equilibrium. Of course, he had help coining that phrase with Niles Eldridge. Niles usually gets ignored. That's not fair. Uh, anyway, the term describes the emergence of a species over, uh, occurring over some thousands of years, which is a long time on our scale. But it's a mere blink in geological time. Then the species typically settles down to a couple million years of fairly stable existence. My experience suggests that punctuated equilibrium is a phrase also applicable to our pilgrimages through life, to my pilgrimage, searching for the light, the light that we hear so much about in the traditional cultural conditioning of our unquestioned childhood upbringing. Hold on, our what? That's all right, it's a good question, and we will touch on it some more. For now, the phrase traditional cultural conditioning basically concerns all the common lore, including many superstitions that our culture instills in us as children. And we can end up retaining these superstitions throughout life. Is a spoiler alert needed? Anyway, punctuated equilibrium, uh, like punctuated equilibrium, my pilgrimage has had quick periods of substantial change, alternating with longer periods of relative stability. I won't bore you with the stable periods, but some change periods provided some exciting parts to my life's pilgrimage. As a convenient point, let's start in 1982 in Canton, New York, when I was fresh out of graduate school and continuing my college teaching career on the campus from which I would retire 33 years later. I will anchor my light-seeking travels to that point, describing what happened before 1982 and after 1982, especially the before part. Then, as today, one important aspect of religion, to me at least, concerns dealing with unknowns, both intellectual and emotional, including the many uncertainties in life. For the dozen years prior to my arrival in Canton, that is, from around 1970, I had been churchless. That's the term I've heard used, churchless. I believed then, as now, that one vital way to deal with the unknown is to work to make it known. 
for instance, through science and education. And I had not come across any denomination that seriously acknowledged that task or that approach. Of course, they all want to retain the products of science, even as some of them speak ill of science itself and even fight against it. To the extent that I even looked, I only came across churches willing to overemphasize faith as simply being enough to just accept the unknown. Earlier, well, before 1970, <clears throat> I had been raised in a large Catholic family. This means that the Catholic version of all the traditional cultural conditioning happened to me. One or another version of this traditional cultural conditioning gets automatically heaped on every one of us during our unquestioned childhood upbringing, when we are unlikely to ask questions much more significant than, where are the cookies? And such traditional cultural conditioning instills in all of us various presumptions that can last a lifetime, usually until some educational experience, especially science education, disabuses us of it. So, like so many others, I started out with many far too common Western cultural fallacies and biases, particularly religious ones. Now, on the other hand, I would say that I am a risen Catholic, though there are those who would likely use the opposite term. And like other risen Catholics among us, my history includes serving as an altar boy in my local parish in grade school. Perhaps less like others, my four years of high school and first two years of college were spent in Catholic seminary boarding schools, but I did not stay. Those college years were 1968 to 1970, when politics and the war in Vietnam were raging. And yet, our college president was the one who drove us to anti-war rallies in San Francisco, rather the opposite of what was happening on some other Bay Area campuses at the time. Everything was being questioned, not just politics. Many seminarians were leaving, and the grapevine brought their difficulties back to those of us left behind. One trouble was that their BA in Humanities, the degree that the seminary college could confer, was relatively meaningless outside of church work. Should I ever decide to leave, I thought, I would like to have a more substantial degree behind me. So I did leave the seminary, not really to leave, but just to get a BA degree in a more widely recognized discipline before going on. Two things happened, however, that precluded my returning to the seminary. One had an emotionally thrilling and long-term impact on my life, and this was discovering an already well-developed 60-year-old natural science of behavior, now called behaviorology, that was and still is making many contributions to making known the unknown and to improving the lot of humanity. Was this seeing the light?
Working in this science ultimately became my life's occupation. The other thing that had happened had a more immediate, more traumatic, but actually also a beneficial long-term impact, which initially involved seeing the dark rather than seeing the light. As I had only taken a break from seminary life at the time, I was still active in religious affairs. One of my sisters was quite active too, and her activity involved her with part of the Catholic Pentecostal movement who, in their view, were on the cutting edge of Catholicism, even of Christianity. I was studying in Sacramento, and her Pentecostal group lived in Reno, Nevada. That group regularly held retreats at their home, and my sister would sometimes take part. As it happened, I knew these people as they were parents of other seminarians. One of their sons was still in the high school seminary that I had attended. And it came to pass. One Christmas vacation that they were having a weekend retreat and their son had no ride home from the seminary boarding school. As I had long thought of attending one of their retreats, I volunteered to pick up their son from the seminary and give him a ride home to Reno, a 185-mile trip. Now, some circumstances become relevant here. The trip involved driving over the Sierra Nevada mountains at night in late December as it happened during the tail end of a snowstorm. And I was driving a Volkswagen Beetle. If there was ever a need for faith, this was it. But faith and the beetle both failed. Of course, I was downshifting to get up some hills, but I found I had to keep downshifting lower and lower still until finally the little bug would just not budge, not even in first gear. We found out later that the rotor shaft in the distributor had broken. But for those of you who know how those old engines work, but we did not know that. We had no idea what was wrong. We only knew we had some 60 miles between us and Reno and a long, cold hike to the nearest interchange. Luckily, there was a service station there, so my passenger called his parents. His mother, the leader of the Pentecostal group, decided to come get us. She brought along several people in a large station wagon, and she brought a chain to tie the bug to the rear of the wagon and a, an old tire to put between the two vehicles to keep them from damaging each other. Now, such arrangements are hardly regulation. And I didn't want my beetle going off some cliff by accident. So I had to ride in it on this dark, snowy night. And how are Volkswagen Beetles heated? Yes, with air over a warm, working engine, which mine was not. It got very cold in that car on that ride. And at one point, near the summit of Donner Pass, the chain did come loose and the bug did head straight for a cliff and would have gone right on over it had I not been in it to provide some braking and steering. Worse, those in the station wagon did not seem to notice us gone. 
for at least what felt like forever. But they did notice and return, and we got reconnected, and the rest of the trip was uneventful. It was when we finally arrived at their home that seeing the dark rather than seeing the light began. Aside from being frozen, remember my perspective. I was operating under the notion that these folks were supposed to be the leading edge or part of the leading edge of Christianity. But when I arrived, a living hell quietly broke loose. You remember, most of you, how in comic strips, anger and upset towards someone get depicted as a continuous line of daggers aimed at the culprit eye to eye. That is what I experienced from the folks there at the re retreat after we finally arrived. There was no concern for my frozen condition or acknowledgement that I had been their son's only ride home. In several ways, that night was rough. I wondered if it was just me feeling fatigued from the rigors of the trip, but it wasn't just me. My sister had noticed the treatment as well and reported that it dismayed and disturbed her. Needless to say, after that, it was a very long weekend. In any case, the episode broke any connection I had with Catholicism and indeed with any religion. Was that too extreme? More likely, I think it was an embellishment of conclusions of seeing the light towards which I was already headed due to my science education. For various reasons, I felt somewhat relieved by this turning away from the seminary and from the Catholic Church and from religion in general. Instead, through a dozen more years of MA studies and then teaching in Australia and China and then completing PhD studies, I remained, as I said earlier, churchless. My directions had clearly switched from the traditionally conditioned theological and secular perspectives to the natural sciences, particularly the natural science of behavior, as well as to more accurate awareness of political concerns and actions supporting people's equality and future. I was seeing the light. Then, as I mentioned, in 1982, I arrived in Canton, New York and gradually got immersed in college and small town existence. And in that process, I was attracted to Canton's UU Church, where, as here, the struggle to make known the unknown, including through science, was and is both warmly welcomed and actively supported. I officially joined, which was a radical step as I had never taken such a step on my own before. I even provided some occasional sermons. Still, you can always count on change. Various later events, which I describe elsewhere, we've run out of time, um, led to my moving away from any official church memberships, although attendance and sermons and other contributions persist. Retirement came later. My contributions now continue with this congregation, and I thank you for helping make these years meaningful. Of course, all those conditioning experiences have always kept me permanently on the lookout for something even better. And yet, 
In all those years, nothing better has come along. And something better coming along seems increasingly unlikely. Anyone for alien intervention? Again, we can always count on change. What will happen next? For me, for you. Perhaps in a dozen years, an update will be appropriate. Meanwhile, other sermon topics beckon. How about sharing your story? 